I'm going to speak this morning. I'm going to continue on what Tom Kyle preached on last week. His message was planted uh, in God's family. So this morning it is planted in God's family, part two, part deux, as the French say. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm going to be focusing on what it is to be a son of God. We're in a family. And so a family is made up of sons and daughters, and a family has a father and a mother. And, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to understand what it is to be a son if you don't really know what it is to be a father. Um, if we don't understand fatherhood, it's hard to understand sonship. And, uh, you know, Jesus, when he prayed there and he taught people how to, how to pray, he began by saying, Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so an understanding of the kingdom of God and the will of God is always in the context of a father. We begin with our father and then we talk about will, we ask for his kingdom to come. And so uh, everything that Jesus did in extending his kingdom was in the context of him uh, being uh, a perfect father. And so we want to get that too. All right, so let's pray real quick here, and then we're going to jump in. I'm going to tell you a story to begin with. We're going to read a passage in Romans, um, but I'm first going to tell you a story about uh, sonship and having a father. So Father, I thank you this morning that you uh, are the God who illuminates the Scriptures for us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will bring to light your will and your ways as we dig into your Word, because your Word is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And so I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you will bring to light your Word, that, that we will see things we haven't seen, that we will be changed this morning by your power, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, that we can know you more and we can live out your kingdom realities more in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, we're going to get ready to read a passage in Romans um, here. Um, but first of all, I'm going to tell uh, a story. Um, when I was about 10 years old, I was living in a house in the city of Bath, and the house had a name. Um, because we're generally, as the English, we can be a little bit self-important, um, and so we like to name our houses. So either that or it's because the houses are so old that they end up getting names. Um, but the house I lived in, I was about 200 years old, and it was called Nelson House. It was called Nelson House because the Lord Admiral Nelson, very frame, uh, famous uh, British admiral, um, had visited that house and stayed there for a period of time. Um, and so I lived in a house called Nelson House. It was a really nice house. Um, and it was at the top of one of the hills overlooking Bath. And uh, Bath is a city, it's called a city of seven hills. There are, uh, it's very hilly. Um, in fact, there's a hill there that's like a, 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 a one in, uh, what is a 25% gradient. And you can actually drive up and down it if your car is man enough. And so this house that I lived on, um, Nelson House, it was at the top of one of the hills and it overlooked the city of Bath. And so we had a big stone wall at the back of the yard of this house. It's about 10 feet high big stone wall, and then there was a pathway right behind that, that uh, stone wall that, that went up to kind of the top of the hill. And then you would look from there over the city of Bath. And uh, my brothers and I, our two younger brothers, we liked to kind of climb on that wall um, and kind of sit up there and look over. Uh, one day, actually, my younger brother fell off that wall, fell 10 feet onto concrete. Um, we leapt down, prayed for him. Immediately, he got up, and he was totally fine. Um, 
But God wants, your, God wants our daily life to be characterized by miracles. That's what he's about. Um, and so my, my family lived that way. So even if you make a mistake and you fall off a wall, God is there to uh, heal you. I remember shortly after that, my brother leapt into the road. He didn't look. Uh, he was hit by a car, kind of tumbling over. He's about six years old. Um, he got up, and his index finger was sticking out of the side of his hand like that. Um, immediately my mother went over there, put her hand on his, prayed, commanded it to go back in Jesus' name, and his fingers popped right back in place. He was totally fine. Um, no, no adverse effects whatsoever. Anyway, that's the normal Christian life. So one morning, I had been kind of um, dithering around. It was a Saturday morning. I was kind of bored. Um, we had no cell phones or video games, um, much to my chagrin. Of course, we were all better children for things being that way, as we know. And so I had decided to walk out of the doorway in this wall to the path right behind it, um, just for no particular reason. And so I walked through this um, doorway in this big stone wall, and I stood in the path. And in my uh, tree, there was a in my garden, there was a large apple tree whose branches went over the wall and dropped apples on the path that was behind the wall. And it was later in the summer, and these apples had been sitting there for a long time. A lot of them were rotten. Um, and so what, periodically what I would do is I would go, then I'd pick up apples, and I would throw them off this really steep hill. I mean, this was like, like this. You actually, we called it the cliff. And I would throw them off as far as I could to see where they would land below. And so I picked up a couple of these apples, and there was a particularly soft, rotten one in my hand at the time. And I was just kind of thinking and just kind of throwing it up and down like this. And so I turned around and I saw up the path about probably 100 feet away. My neighbor um, had um, come out of the uh, doorway in his wall and he was walking away from me up the path. And this is a man that we didn't really have much interaction with and he just generally wasn't liked. I, I don't really know why. His name was Christopher Dufton Gertie. He had a double-barreled name, Dufton Gertie was his last name. I don't even ask me how to spell it. Um, and he was a little bit standoffish, which most people of you may have noticed who have double-barreled na names, they are standoffish. Um, it's something genetic, I don't fully understand it. Um, but this man was no exception, and so he was a little bit disapproving and he wasn't generally liked. And so there I was with this apple in my hand, and I saw the back of uh, Christopher Dufton Gertie, and... For some reason, in my little 10 or 11-year-old brain, for some reason, something, I don't know what it was, possessed me, no pun intended, um, to take this apple. And before I knew what was happening, I had leaned back with all my might, and I threw it as hard as I could in the direction of Christopher Duft and Gertie. And so... It was one of those situations where, you know, when you're 10 or 11, most of the decisions you make, you do consciously, but there are some that you're not really aware that you're making. And it was a bit like that. And so it happened as though slow motion, this apple was released with great force out of my hand, and it, there it was flying through the air, and I was kind of torn with mixed feelings at this point. Part of me, my, my, as I looked at the trajectory of this apple, a smile began to come to my, my face. And I thought to myself, what an amazing shot this is. And I thought how well I had done. 
as I looked at the trajectory of this apple, now uh, we don't play baseball in England, we play cricket, which I consider to be a superior game, um, and I had a pretty good arm on me. And yet at the same time, as I, as I watched this apple travel through the air in slow motion, there was some measure of concern in me as well. And I stood there, this all happened in the space of about of a second, and I watched this apple as it was heading towards its target um, with a mixture of anxiety and joy in me. <laughs> and sure enough, this apple at great speed, I watched it smack squarely and splat everywhere in pieces into the back of the head of Christopher Dufton Gertie. Now, immediately another operation took place within me, which I believe is referred to as the flight or fight syndrome. Um, and so very quickly, adrenaline took over, and I realized that as a 10-year-old, I could not fight this man, who was probably about 40 years old. And so the obvious solution was flight. And so I had to determine where I should fly to. On the one hand, there was a cliff that was too steep for me that I couldn't really leap over. I could fly towards this man, or I could fly away from him. But if I ran down the path, he would see me. So within a fraction of a second, before he could really comprehend what had happened and turn around, I had shot straight back through the door in the wall and my one mistake was in my haste, I like pushed the door and slammed it behind me. And then I ran up the pathway of, uh, uh, in our back garden um, towards the house itself. Now, my, the, our backyard was about the size of this room and the door was where the doorway would be over there. So I ran up the garden path. I was not led up the garden path, but I ran up the garden path. And then just before I made it into the door, my father would be doing some construction and there were two uh, actual doors that had been, that were lying against a railing here. And I snuck in behind them and ducked down. And then I waited for a period of time, which is probably about five seconds, as I was praying, as one does, asking God for mercy and trying to determine what would happen. And sure enough, about five seconds later, I saw the handle of the door go down and it creak open. And there was a very red-faced and angry Christopher Dufton Gertie who was peering up my garden to search for his assailant, the one that had inflicted such harm upon him and his clothing. But I realized later that he was in somewhat of a predicament as well because he had not seen me do this act. He had merely just heard the sound of a door and he had jumped to conclusions that perhaps it had been someone from my household and we had gone through the door because he just heard a door close. And so there I saw him hidden and as he stood there and tried to contemplate what to do. And it was at that time as a 10-year-old that I knew and learned that God answers prayers. <laughs> because after pausing there for probably about 5 to 10 seconds and considering his options, should he come to the house? What if he came in there covered in slimy apple and accosted my father and my father told him that none of his children were home? What would he do? How silly he would look. So he paused at the door, he then turned around, closed it, and we never saw or heard from him again. 
<clears throat> so why do I tell this story? Because <clears throat> as a son who, <clears throat> who understood his father, that when I was in a time of challenge, when I was in a time of pressure, when I didn't know what to do, being that I was a son with a good father, I at least knew where to run. And when I was in a time of challenge, my default was to come home. My default was to come into the protection of my father's house, believing that regardless of what I'd have done, even if what I'd done was very bad, that if I came to my father, I would at least find protection that I would find safety, that I would find someone who would be an advocate for me and would help me in my time of need. And as sons of God, that is a mentality that we need to be able to all come to. But we're going to read now about the contrast between a son and a slave because a slave is someone who doesn't have a father, doesn't know the concept of fatherhood, and in a time of trouble, they don't know where to go. And what a slave mentality does is in a time of trouble, they turn inwardly and they go to themselves to try and resolve their own challenges and their own issues and their problems. And when we're susceptible to our own selves, we will always let ourselves down. Because a perfect heavenly father wants his sons to come to him. And this morning I believe that God wants to instill a a more powerful understanding of what it is to be a son of God. And so if you're a woman here, you're also a daughter of God. We're all sons of God. We all have an inner man. Um, and God wants to instill what it is to be a son of God. Amen? All right, let's go get into the Bible here. We're having too much fun. Um, let's go ahead and we're going to read Romans uh, chapter 8. And we're going to read a passage from this here, if we can get that on the screen. Okay, here we go. Go through this speedily. Um, so this is uh, Paul writing to the Romans. And he is talking here about sonship. And he's talking about um, sonship and slavery. And so here's what he says. However, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ... He does not belong to him. That's why the Holy Spirit is given as a deposit to us when we are born again. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. <clears throat> For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. That's bad. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, 
and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. So, we're going to just define a couple of terms here. It's helpful. We're going to define the term flesh. We're going to define the term Abba, um, because it will help us understand what it is uh, that Paul is trying to say here. Um, So, Abba is an Aramaic word, which is translated father. Actually, it means dancing queen. So, Abba there. But um, often it is, yeah. No. <laughs> Abba, it just means father. And a lot of translations, or a lot of people would translate that more daddy. It, it, it is a familiar and comfortable term with father. And so um, what, what, what Jesus wanted to do is, is give people an understanding that this father was not some remote person, that was not harsh. He wasn't like the, 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 the kind of typical uh, family system of that time. And so Jesus, this accessible person who spent time among everyone, he spent time among those who were sinners, he spent time among those who were, who were righteous, he let the children come and sit on his lap. He then said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because this is what, what the Father is like. And so what Paul is saying is that, that when we are adopted as sons, then there is something within us that cries to our Father that we want to be able to know our Father and experience our Father. And so in the same way that I, as a 10-year-old, knew where I needed to go in a time of challenge, I knew that where I needed to be is with my Father. Now, it was helpful for me that I had a good father overall, and so it wasn't hard for me. But for some of us, we have to make a shift in our thinking because that may not have been our experience. And so it's harder for us to come running to the father. So the other uh, word we need to look at here is the flesh and what that means um, because it's uh, it's a little bit of a cumbersome um, phrase here. To, to talk about the flesh and understand what the heck it is that Paul is saying. So we're going to go back and we're going to read uh, verse um, uh, 12 and 13 as we're going to look at our first point here, which is that we are living in two worlds. Um, so let's read verses 12 and 13 of that passage here. So then, brothers, we are under obligation. Everyone say obligation. We have an obligation. Not to the flesh... To live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Wow. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. So let's talk about the word flesh. So the Greek there is sarks. Sarks, yes. Some people may struggle with the accent. Sarks, S-A-R-X. From where we get the word sarcophagus. Um, which is a place, which is a tomb, which is a place where the body would go, and it literally means flesh. Sarks means flesh. Also, where we get the word sarcasm. Anybody want to know um, the origin of the word sarcasm? It mit- literally means to tear the flesh. Anybody like being sarcastic here? No one's going to own up to that. It literally means to tear the flesh. And so Paul is talking about the fact that we live 
in a body. So we live in a body which is dying as much as we don't want to admit, admit it. My body is aging. But it's also a, a body, where well, we're talking about the flesh, that is susceptible to the elements. I get tired. When I get tired, I'm more likely to be crabby. I'm more likely to be impulsive. We have passions and we have whims. And so when the Bible talks about the flesh, this is what it's talking about. Jesus knew what it was like to live in a body. He knew what it was like to be stressed out. He knew what it was like to be hungry, to be tired, to have to be really challenged to make good decisions. I learned when I was 10 years old what it was like to be challenged to make good decisions. I didn't always make the best decisions when it came to handling rotten apples. Because we live in this fleshly body. And so we can't change that right now. Now, we read later on that our body cries to be adopted as sons, and we're waiting for the redemption of our body. So one day, this body which causes me so, so many problems is going to be done away with, and I'll have a heavenly body, just like Jesus does right now. I'll have a heavenly body. It will never decay. It will be awesome. It will be perfect, and I'll have it forever. And it's never going to let me down. But... For now, I do have a body which can cause problems to me. And what we're reading about here is what it is to learn how to live within a natural body but be led by the Spirit. And so we can overcome the challenges and the limitations of being people living in a body and we can be people led by the Spirit. That is what we're talking about. So here's a wonderful promise here that we read um, here, if the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So now, while we live in these mortal bodies, we have this amazing promise. Here's the promise that the very spirit of God that raised Jesus from a physical death to a physical life, that very spirit lives in me. And that spirit is able to provide power to me, power for living. So I got a testimony about that. Uh, last Saturday, um, I was in the hospital. Um, in Delmar Hospital, I was visiting John Washko, who had acute appendicitis. And he got sent to the hospital. It was pretty bad, actually. He was there for a couple of nights. And he, was, uh, he had an appendicitis. So I was there visiting him on a, on a, a Saturday night. And while I was there, uh, talking to John, uh, my phone kept buzzing and I got a bunch of text message, messages saying somebody else in the church who we know and love, Kathy Pettit, was also on her way to Del Nor because she was having a stroke. And so there I was, I finished with John, and I rushed downstairs to the ER um, to go and see the Pettit family. And so I went into the room there, and Kathy Pettit was there with a whole bunch of other Pettits, because there are lots of them, um, all amazing people, um, because she had had a stroke. And so I spent some time with them, and I watched the family come in, and they prayed for her. And um, there, were, there were some challenges. This is real stuff. This is real life. 
She was having some real challenges with speech production and some motor skills as well. Um, and this is where the rubber hits the road, folks. We prayed and I left them there um, uh, and I, I carried on my way. And I texted Joe a little bit throughout the week and I kind of asked him how things were going. And then he sent me a text message um, on Monday, this is two days later, in response. And here's what he said. He said, fun story. Yesterday, Kathy was really struggling with speech, feeling a bit frustrated that although she could respond to questions, she really couldn't start a conversation. We also asked her if she remembered any Spanish, which she knew pretty well, and she couldn't come up with any words. So we're in a situation here where a miracle needs to happen. There is blockage that is preventing the flow of blood to parts of the brain um, that are involved in the production of speech. And the drugs hadn't been able to deal with this at this time. So she couldn't come up with any Spanish words. However, one time I came in the room and she was speaking fluent a mile a minute in tongues. There is one language the enemy couldn't take from her. Praise God. And today, her speech is almost near normal. Her improvement today is phenomenal. And here she is with us this morning. So isn't that a glory to God? It's amazing. So we thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, for what you've done. And I thank you for the Spirit of God which is in us, which brings life and healing even to our mortal bodies, that we can be transformed by that Spirit of God which is inside us. It, it, we cannot underestimate its power. So we say yes, and for Kathy, more and more and complete restoration in Jesus' mighty name. Do it again. <clears throat> and so, while we, we are living in two worlds, the world which is the one which is obviously more real and more powerful is that spirit of Jesus which is living within us. And so we have, a, we have an obligation to make a choice. And so that is the second point here. We have an obligation to make a choice. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So let's look at this here. So we're going to look at this backwards. Those who are the sons of God... The quality of being someone who is a son of God is that we are led by the Son of God. So we can know those who are sons of God by looking at the ones who are led by the Spirit of God. But being led, if I am being led, it requires that I follow. And that's why Paul says that we are under obligation. And so the way to be a son and to enter into this kind, of, this kind of relationship with God is that for me, while I live a life in this natural body here on the earth, I have to make a conscious choice to when the Spirit leads that I would then follow. Because the Spirit can give direction, but I could choose to just to stay, to stay put. And so uh, a picture of this that we see is with the Israelites who... Um, were a, a great picture of what it is to be in slavery for 400 years and then be called out into sonship with a different inheritance. And so they became familiar with this slave ship mentality. The slave ship mentality is that what we do for ourselves will determine what we actually get. So as slaves, God's people at that time... Um, 
were at the mercy of those who they were under. And if they did certain things, then they would get certain things. If they went ahead and they made the bricks without straw to build whatever it was the Pharaoh wanted, then they would get fed. But if they didn't do enough work, they would get less food. If they didn't do what they were asked, then they would get beaten. And they lived under this for 400 years. But God called them out and said, I no longer want you to be slaves, but you are sons. And I want you to learn what it is like to live as sons who have an inheritance. And so we see the phrase in here, we're adopted as sons. And so he called them out of that place of slavery and into a place of promise. It was a promised land. It was a place where there would be a fruitful land filled with milk and honey. We could talk about the symbolism of that, but it was a place that would produce for them more than they needed. It was a place of fruitfulness. It was a place of ease. Yes, there was work, but it was a land that would produce. And it wasn't a land that belonged to somebody else. It was something that was theirs. There was a place of the inheritance of the Father that he had for them. And he called them as sons of God to go to the promised land. But after having been called, they needed to be led. They had to make a choice. They were under obligation. They could have said, this is too risky. I know this sucks, but we're kind of comfortable with this. I don't know if I'm prepared to go through the desert. I don't know how I'm going to be provided for. And as we know, it was a, it was a rough journey for them while they proved themselves as sons because they did ultimately uh, let God lead them and they followed. And so they ended up in a place of the provision of God. The sons of God are defined by those that listen and are then led. And what God had for them is a place of his, uh, it was, it was an inheritance which exemplified the type of father and the abundance that he had. And for you and I, I believe that God this morning wants to give us an understanding that what our life has for us is not based upon what we can do for ourselves, but it's based upon the riches that he has and the inheritance that he has for us as the almighty abundant father. It's not based upon what you have done this week or the week before. It's based upon what he has done for us. And that was what was hard for the Israelites to comprehend because they kept believing it was on the basis of what they would done that would get them where God wanted to go. But miracle by miracle, he delivered to them, he provided for them, even as they went through the wilderness, he made the way possible when it was impossible, because his inheritance is without limit. And that's how it is for us. I'm going to end by just giving you a picture here to try and express some of this principle, then I'm going to pray and we're going to wrap up. Sons inherit from the father's estate. Slaves just get what they're given according to what they do. <clears throat> Your father was without measure. Um, when I was uh, 17, I took my driver's license to do it at 17 in England. Um, I needed a car, I needed to get around. And so um, my father, my human father, he gave me this. If we can have a picture, that was my first car. 
That is a that is a Renault nine, and that particular model is yellow. And the one I had was like ten times brighter yellow than that. That was the car that my father gave to me, uh, gave for my use when I got my driver's license. Now I was reading a story the other day of a man that I uh, I know of. I, I follow kind of motor racing, and there is a wealthy man who's known kind of in the racing scene. He races Lamborghinis and a lot of other incredibly high-end cars. He's got unlimited wealth. And I read a story that he gave a gift on his son's 14th birthday. He gave his 14-year-old son this car. It's a Lamborghini Huracan Trofeo Evo. It's about, it cost about half a million dollars. He gave it to his son on his 14th birthday. His son races go-karts and stuff like this. And, and before his son even has a driver's license, he can actually race this on the track, which he does. This is what his father gave to him. <laughs> and I'm showing this because it's a picture. When I heard that story, part of me was like, what the heck is his father doing? Um, but then part of me was like, you know what? This is a father of unlimited resource who shares a passion with his son, they're both in motor racing, that when he wanted to give something to his son, he thought of something that his son would value and be the most passionate about, and then without sparing expense, he gave to his son the thing that would give his son the greatest joy. And that's how our Heavenly Father is with us. That he is a God with unlimited resource. And those things which we are passionate about or we're wanting to get into, he is eager to give them to, to us. So I just want to challenge you, and if you would stand with me right now as we close, that I want you to close your eyes for a minute here. And I want you to do an inventory of your heart, and I want you to consider what it is that is a child of God that you are looking for. What is it as a child of God that you would want to receive from a father who has no limits? And it may be that you are asking God that you would be able to move in more power in your life. You want to live this kind of life that we read about where, where the steps of your days are, are, are marked with outpourings of power that maybe you, you come across people and you, you proclaim the gospel with power. You pray for someone and they're healed in front of you just like Jesus and disciples did. That that's what you would want. And your father says to you this morning that that's within my inheritance and it's yours. You may be in need of greater provision in your life and you're asking the Lord, how can I get to a place from where I am until what you have for me? And the Lord this morning is saying to you that that is within my inheritance. And if you will let yourself be led as my spirit leads you and you will respond, if you will come under obligation to follow my lead, I will have exactly what you need and give it to you. Whatever situation that you may be in, I want you to hold that up this morning and then I'm going to pray for us all before we end. 
but God wants for every person in this room to be able to receive more of their inheritance from their perfect father than they, than they did before they walked in here. And whatever it is, I want you to hold it in your heart. I want you to lift it up to the Lord and I'm going to pray now or we're going to believe that you're going to receive that. And I'm going to ask that you would have an opportunity this week to be led into what it is that you're asking for. And that you can make a decision to follow that lead and enter into that inheritance. So Father, I thank you for your nature. I thank you that you are unlimited. And I thank you that as sons, we can receive all that you have. And so I pray for every person in this room that you will lead us this week. Show us the steps that we can do to respond and follow you to receive what it is that we are asking of our inheritance. That which is in your household. Because all good things come from above, from the Father of lights. So for every person here, Lord, I say let this week be a week of, of receiving the inheritance. A week marked by being led by your Spirit. And whatever we're dealing with in the lives of our flesh, that we would, as Kathy did, that we would respond to your Spirit and we would receive from that unquenchable Spirit of life within us. And we would live in the fullness of your inheritance. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.